Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. Okay, hello everybody. Buonasera a tutti. My name is Stevie Kim and welcome to Italian Wine Club. Hi, you guys. Ciao, Gabriele. Hi, Ciao, Pietro. Ciao, Andrea. Buonasera. Buonasera. Okay. All right. So we're back with Gabriele Gorelli, the new OMW, Pietro Rusta, the winemaker, and Andrea Bonaldi, the commercial savvy executive, better known as the Three Musketeers. You know the story by now. Gabriele, Pietro, and Andrea have been studying together for the MW exams and have become besties ever since. They've also curated the Italy section of the new Sotheby's Wine Encyclopedia together. So I think it's safe to say that they are indeed Italian wine experts. We've recorded several sessions with the Three Musketeers, which included Old Vines, Natural Wines, Verdicchio, to name a few. Check them out on Italian Wine Podcast to replay if you've missed them. I usually run a weekly room on Thursdays, 8 p.m. Central European time. Um, today, we will be talking about an overarching area of sparkling wines of Italy. I must confess that when I suggested this topic, um, it wasn't completely altruistic as I'd signed up for my D4 exam. So I really, I'm really hoping that these dudes will give me some pointers because I've yet to finish reading the book. Ha! Huh. Speaking of Italian Wine Podcasts, I just wanted to thank everyone for following us. We've hit one million listen mark on Tuesday, so we are absolutely thrilled. So if you can give a follow and leave a thumbs up on Apple Podcast or Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to your podcast, we'd really appreciate that. As usual, I like to remind the speakers that this room will indeed be recorded and replayed on the Italian Wine Podcast. We do this for all those who cannot participate on this call and as a study tool for those doing the deeper dive into Italian wine. Uh, thank you for joining us here on Clubhouse and listening to us also on Italian Wine Podcast because it is really a labor of love. So let's get to this. Ciao ragazzi. Let's start with Gabriele. Hey. Ciao, come yeah. stai? I'm good. I'm good. I feel like this is the last day of school. And uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you, you guys, you guys are such wimps. I can't believe it. You're tired already. Welcome to my life. Hello. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to miss the jingle mostly. Really I'll, I think I'll, I'll send it to you. I'll make a copy and send it to you. Okay. So you know, we start. We're going to talk about sparkling wines of Italy. Um, what can you just give us kind of an overview? view of what are Italian sparkling wines? Of course, everybody yeah, knows course. Prosecco, and maybe some of them know Franciacorta, but give, give us kind of the, the carellata, the, the, the entire list of the, the sparkling wines. Okay, the, the list won't be exhaustive, of course, but uh, it would be, you know, what it is more relevant volume-wise. And of course, you mentioned Prosecco, so I'd start with the Charmat method or the Metodo Italiano wine, wine, uh, wines. And uh, that represents more than the 95% of the sparkling wine produced in, uh, in Italy, uh, of which Prosecco represents a half. Uh, apart from Prosecco and the Charmat method, we do have... Um, Brachetto, so it's uh, it's red 
variety uh, vinified as Sharma with uh, relevant uh, residual sugar too. We do have Asti, uh, of which I see among the people following us, there is Giacomo Pondini, who is the director of the consortium. Uh, so maybe we can, we can have him up uh, later. Yeah, yeah, I think we will have him up. For uh, new, you know, challenges of the of the region since it's there since a few months, uh, and of course, Asti is made by uh, Moscato, Mosca Blanca Petit Grain, and then we have uh, Lambrusco, which can be which can be also ancestral method, but uh, it can be many varieties, and, and many varieties are uh, ascribable to Lambrusco. And there are many types of Lambrusco, and this is the other very big, you know, player. Uh, it was once exported, uh, uh, like in the mid '60s, 1960s, uh, in massive uh, amounts to the U.S. And it, pro- it was probably the most well-known wines, uh, sparkling speaking, and before, long before Prosecco. Now, you know, the switching starts and, and so on. Now, Lambrusco, it's it's a bit more steady, while Prosecco has been doubling the uh, volumes in the last eight years or so and so this could be you know the, the first you know relevant players on the sharma method but then we do have the the ones that produce less but they produce the champenoise method so the the bottle fermented method As you mentioned francia corta which is lombardy an area that is uh, um, with classic uh, grape varieties, uh, Champenois grape varieties. Of course, uh, uh, there is also their their identity grape varieties, which is Herbamat, which is an, uh, an, a new thing to the, to the region. Then coming back to Piemonte, we do have Alta Langa, which is possibly the most historically uh, allowed, uh, you know, uh, appellation uh, among the bottle fermented throughout Italy. And Trento Doc, of course, which accounts for uh, half of the bottles produced by Francia Corta, but same varieties, so Champenoise varieties, and it is a region which is severely impacted by the mountains. So it is, uh, as they like to say, a bollicina di montagna, so mountain sparkles. So, I mean, it's really Prosecco. The Prosecco is king right now, and it's it's still growing. Is that correct? It is. It is still growing, yes, uh, steadily. And it is also thanks to the new category that they had been able to launch in uh, nine, nine, 2019, which is the Prosecco Rosé, the DOC Rosé, which I've been uh, told uh, a few weeks ago that it should have been inside the original production regulation of uh, the DOC of 2009, when the actual Prosecco phenomenon started. But it is only there in, you know, since, since one year, but it's been a hit. And it's, it is a very intelligent operation, in, on, on my opinion, because it's is going in a direction of premiumization of Prosecco, which is what the appellation needs. So we'll talk a little bit more about uh, Prosecco Rosé in, in a in a bit. Um, but what what are the uh, notable benchmark wines that you can recommend for us to try? Um, in I guess well, maybe you can just. Um, for the two categories of your choice, because that it's quite a few, right? Like we had, we were talking about prosecco, barchetto. You mentioned Asti, you mentioned Lambrusco, Talanga, Franciacorta, Trento d'Oca. It goes on and on. What what can you make some suggestions for our audience and for our students? What are the benchmark wines, for example, for um, Lambrusco? Uh, Lambrusco, uh, it's it's one of my wines I, I, which I think I, I, that has a high latitude of food pairing. So it's very, I think it's very indicated for uh, Asian markets uh, because of its style, and uh, it it might appear in different forms 
less color, more color, more bubbles, less bubbles, and, and more assertive and more uh, soft. But uh, I'd like to to drink the, the Lambrusco as the the people from uh, Emilia uh, do. So it, it, to me, is the is the more assertive bubbles, and I like the one that is produced in uh, in the school of agronomy uh, near uh, Rubiera, which is called Miglio Lungo, which is uh, all made with uh, several varieties. I think more than twenty five old Lambrusco varieties that have been recovered by the, the school itself and is actually done by by the students on the, on the vineyards and uh, it, it is a style of Lambrusco which, which is a bit lighter and might be a bit more hard-edged but can actually be drunk uh, at several temperatures and as a very very long persistence on the aftertaste which which is something that I like a lot or the the very deep new wave of Lambrusco that came into the markets especially internationally in, in by the last six seven years uh, th there are some very you know with mm, generous with brooding fruit one like uh, I think Ceci is one of the best examples, or, or Medici Hermete, it's another. So the people that really want to extract a lot, a lot of anthocyanins, a lot of generosity, and these really brooding fruits from Lambrusco. Do, do you want to give us kind of a small overview, the type of different types of Lambruscos, for example? Oh, yeah. Uh, of course, You mainly you do have the Grasparossa, which is the should be the, the most uh, full-bodied. Uh, then you have the Sorbara, which is the one that uh, is more highly colored. And, and the Salamino, which is a, a bit, uh, you know, less bolstered. And then among the, among the Reggiano, you can have several styles, but uh, it's mainly deep colored. And all these styles come in in several declinations so you have uh, several um, sugar um, amounts uh, and you come from the secco which is less than uh, 15 grams then you go to the amabile which is uh, up to 20 25 sorry 35 and then up to to the to the 50 grams uh, dolce uh, but I think, for, of course, for the for the food pairing, I think the secco is ready. It's ready enough, even because with all those anthocyanins and tannins, it is already a wine which is balanced uh, without having too much too much sugar feeling instead of the sugar figure itself. I, I feel like Lambrusco is something um, kind of underestimated right um because it's i mean i love lambrusco to be quite honest um it goes with everything but it has this image like in america you know there was this whole campaign i think you're too young to um know but there was this whole campaign reunity on ice that's nice you know, and and I think yes. that's kind of what we remember, kind of the expensive, so easygoing, you know, very sugary, um, um, substantive um, kind of drinks. So that's what we remember. But actually there, I've, I've visited um, a Lambrusco producer recently, and they are doing both ancestral method as well as mm -hmm. uh, Metodo Classico. I, do yeah. you see that yeah. happening as, kind of as a trend? I think so, especially with the ancestral method, which might be one of the next big things on the on the markets because it it is something you can control a bit less, and uh, it does give you know that additional layer of complexity most of the time. And Lambrusco is it's very you know indicated for these kind of styles, which is actually the ancestral meaning that was the uh, I mean the ordinary way to do Lambrusco back in the time and uh, I think it's becoming way more interesting than, than you know on ice uh, it's nice but but yeah here with it, it's with food it's good I would say with food is good I like that <laughs> with food is good okay that'll be the new motto Alrighty, let's go to Andrea ciao Andrea 
Andrea, hello. Yeah. Hello, hello. Hello. How are you? I'm driving. Sorry. Oh, you're driving. You're always driving. <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like you are a professional autista. Autista. I can do that in the future. Yeah, yeah. Instead of making sparkling wine, that might be an opportunity. You know? Listen, so do you want to give us um, kind of an overview on the the methods of sparkling wine? What What are the different methods for making Italian sparkling wine? Well, for sure, uh, the... The most important method is what Gabriele says, the traditional sparkling method. Uh, we have in Italy also what we can say. Well, Rams. that's the most prestigious one, right? You can't say it's the most important, right? No, you are correct. It's the most prestigious one, but it's not the most important one, especially in terms of numbers, because in terms of numbers, Prosecco is driving today. The market is a 500 million bottle of wine already in the market. Uh, they are growing with the, the rosé. And that is the tank method. So the three major techniques are, the first one is traditional method. So it means that you make a base wine. And after that, you start, you inoculate with some yeast again, and you do the second fermentation in the bottle. And after that, you can differentiate the quality of the wine by the time that you leave the, lease, uh, the, the wine on lease. And after that, you have the... The final part of the method is the degorgement, where you remove uh, the lease from the bottle and you adjust uh, with what we can say, we can call the liqueur d'expedition. Uh, How do you say that in Italian, liqueur d'expedition? Uh, c'est la... Uh, <laughs> you forgot Italian. Dosaggio. Dosaggio. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank God we've yeah. got the master of wine. <laughs> yeah, dosaggio. And uh, finally, enough, the second method that is typically Italian, the tank method, actually we call the method Martinotti method. All right, so who, what is it, Martinotti or Charmant? Like every, Martinotti, the French, Martinotti. okay, the you French have. Say, the French say Charmant method, but actually the, the origin is related to Martinotti. And it is totally Italian. That is what I'm coming back to tell you, that Asti represent our city, that in the future has to come back with this deep background and knowledges and uh, uh, charm also of the Italian sparkling wine city. This is where we come from in terms of sparkling. That is Asti and Pondini after that can really better explain the deep truth about bubbles that we have. in. Yeah, this I invited city. Giacomo to, to speak just uh, right now. Okay. All right, so... It, Talking about um, the different types of methods, so um, we're are, are there are there any like you know pet knot seems to be like super popular right now. Is there anything, Jacob? I'm just going to mute you just for now until you're we're ready to have you speak. Um, pet knot seems to be very popular um, elsewhere now. It's the the kind of the trendy thing in terms of sparkling wine. Do you see that happening also in Italy? Yeah. Uh, honestly, I'm studying in that. Uh, I did. Uh, I've already done some samples, some trials, and I think that we release. I will release our first production next year about pet nut. Pet nut is a very increasing category in the market. It's strongly related to the fact that the sparkling category is growing, but it's also related to the fact that, that there is. Uh, it's also related to the to to the sparkling, but on the on the same time also to the fact that it's a natural product. Natural product is, as last time where we, was, we, we said, it's very difficult to define correctly what does it mean naturally. But that is a fermentation that uh, starts in tank and after that finish in bottle. And there is no degorgement, so you drink the wine as it was. So there is some, uh, uh, not, it's not really clear, it's not really stabilized. It's a niche market that was born in UK, especially in the let's say, in the last 10 years. But right now it's blooming everywhere, especially in the metropolitan areas where people are looking for wines with less intervention, natural wines, bio wines. And uh, there are some probably interesting grape varieties to produce that also in Italy because one of the major areas where the wine was born is Loire, related to Chenin Blanc, uh, Claret. Uh, and that is an area where 
like in example with Verdicchio, I think that we might have some opportunities related to the great acidity and crunchiness and vibrancy that we can find in this great variety. But also Ribolla in Friuli can also be uh, very suitable for, for this type of production. So I will see also in Italy in the future an important increase in terms of PetNet. So what, what, just give it to me straight. What is the difference between PetNet, when they say that, and ancestral? And, you know, in Prosecco they call it Colfondo. And now legally you have to put Sui Leviti, from what I understand. You can't call it Colfondo, especially for DOCG. What are the differences in terms of um, technique? Winemaking technique. In terms of technique is that uh, could be a Colfondo method start as a wine and it is re-fermented in bottle or in tank, and after that it is bottled, with some leaves inside. The natural pet nuts, so the original ancestral method, starting in by juice and go directly into the bottle and ferment, do the first fermentation in bottle. So there is not at all a second fermentation. This is the major difference. So in the Colfondo or in the old uh, different type of uh, wines with A's inside, they have a true fermentation. But with uh, the ancestral method, there is only one fermentation. So what kind of um, packaging? I mean, what, first of all, what kind of wine are you experimenting with Petnat? What uh, kind of grapes? Uh, we are experimenting. This is classified. This is classified. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, joking. We only have 50 people in the room. No, no, but uh, we are... No, but, you know, Gabriele is part of what we are doing because that was also... Uh, it's part of our... You say the three musketeers is part of our way of discovering, of studying together. We started to talk about pet nut with Gabri and Pietro maybe five years ago. We started to taste some wines, enjoy, see the type of consumer, uh, analyzing which category or which part of the market could be interested about this type of wines, but on the same time also have a look in terms of uh, grave varieties and uh, aspect related to grape varieties, pH, acidity, uh, level of alcohol, uh, contents of polyphenols that can be suitable to achieve uh, this uh, this style of wine. And I, we have, we agree that we we finally agree that Ribol and Verdicchio both they can express this uh, this style very well. Oh, fantastic! Because they, because they tend to produce a very they. They are not producing very high, high, high call. So the wines that normally you can have from this grape variety, especially from Ribola, they are not so high in terms of ABV or percentage of alcohol, and they tend to have the crunchiness and the little bit of tannic polyphenols character that usually you are requiring if you want to produce a pet nut. So the pet nut doesn't have the complexity from the lease aging has the complexity from directly from the grape variety. And so uh, it's a different, uh, completely different approach than when you work with Pinot Noir or Chardonnay or the most uh, uh, suitable grape variety to produce uh, traditional bottle, traditional bottle fermented sparkling wine. Uh, Rashmi, I, I just muted you. I'll get back to you once we were, we're done with the panelists. Um, so Andrea, ha- have you been, um, are you experimenting with any different types of packaging because um, elsewhere in in the New World especially they do a lot of pet nut in um, cans for example cans is a very why don't we see any cans in Italy or it's related to culture is related to our also way of of our type of consumption we drink a lot of wine during a meal and bring at the bo- at the table a cane that is not really suitable for our culture. Uh, for people that they are drinking major, most of the part of the wine that they are drinking out of a meal, pro- possible a cane is a is a is a character is a possible uh, pack to use. But I think that cane it will be more suitable for what we can say, the added carbonated wine. So they are sparkling wine, but the CO2 it is added by, by machine. So it's an, it's an artificial addition. So it's not related to a second or first fermentation. Okay, great. Um, 
What is interesting about packaging is that you need to analyze the type of consumer that you want to achieve, you want to grab with these wines. Most of the time, they are consumer, they, they are looking for natural type of wine. So packaging became a mandatory aspect to take care, lightest bottle, and you can do it because you don't achieve uh, the pressure that normally you achieve in, uh, in a traditional sparkling method, but also the use of communication, the labels, they are more natural, they have a completely different approach. Uh, we are talking about some uh, hipster style of consumer or consumer... They, they look about wine in a different way. So the first time that I, I, I drank uh, uh, with Gabriel and, and Pietro, actually it was a glass of petnut, I say, but this is not wine. This is another thing. So you, you have to see the wine by different eyes. So when are you it releasing the... the link between uh, beer and sparkling yeah. wine, no? So they come, most of the consumer of petnut come from beer, from the beer section, for sure. So and also packaging, so it's also related to beer. So when will you be releasing your pet knot? Uh, we have a trial that starts next week, and we will release just uh, 1,000 bottles with different uh, quality levels and different techniques in order to to see that the approach that we need. But next year it is the real. So we do some trial in order to industrialize the process next year. Right. Okay, I'll be expecting a sample in my office next week. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> okay. For sure. All right, I'm, I would like to go to Pietro. Ciao, Pietro, the real winemaker here. Hi, Steve. How are you? I can barely hear you. Can you get a little bit closer? Yeah, sure. I'm pretty good, thank you. Okay, we, we can't hear you very well. I don't know, are you um, using headphones? Can you try taking them out, maybe? For now. Hello? Can you hear me? I can hear you, but I can't hear you very well. Okay, well, let's try. That's, that's much better. Okay. okay. So listen, uh, Pietro, since you're the winemaker, I'm going to ask you the classic, you know, WSET question. In terms of climate, you know, moderating influences, soils, what, what do you need? What are the must-haves? of the sparkling region to make um, sparkling suitable wine production? Well, let's say that uh, it's a very complex question because there are very a lot of variables. I think they'll ask something like that. So that's why I've asked you. <laughs> so I'm trying to cheat a little bit. That, that influence the, the potential quality of a sparkling wine. Uh, as a first uh, answer, there is not a recipe for a perfect vineyard that is suitable for sparking. But th the first element, for example, if we look at the soil of the most famous uh, sparking areas, we, we could find uh, such a high variegated condition. So, for example, the morenic soils, that are soil that are originated from glaciers, we could find in Franciacorta, we can find him partially in, uh, in the Trento DOC. But then in the Trento DOC, there are also high limestone soil and silty soil that gives a uh, high quality wines. Uh, then the same in Haltalanga, for example, there is a dominance uh, of marl and calcareous clay that are typical for minerality and sapidity or Prosecco, in the Prosecco area, the most classical Prosecco area, Valdobbiadene, there is a very high variability. But, but mostly on the plain field, like in the valleys, right? So very fertile? Uh, yes, actually, I will consider Le Rive as the best, uh, best area, so the traditional area, so these are hilly, most hilly, hilly conditions. With, uh, but there is a very variegated soil types from, uh, from sandy to marl or even morenic. So there are not uh, one size fit all soil for, uh, for, for, let's say, for quality sparklings. Then uh, the, the other component is for sure the climate, as you said. This play a major role in particular. This maybe we can maybe generalize a little bit because. Uh, Cooler climate are, uh, are preferred, should, at least should be preferred, 
with a good rainfall to avoid water stress during the growing season for sure. Uh, areas with good diurnal shift in temperature or with a high altitude that amplify this process in keeping the temperature down uh, during the night, for example. Let's say, generally speaking, conditions that favor a longer growing season because the, the most important thing, as you might imagine, is the acidity and the low uh, potential alcohol. So uh, these are conditions for keeping uh, this brightness, this vivid acidity, and uh, to translate this in the, into the finished wine. And uh, for sure, then there is uh, other components in the viticultural practices that should favor this uh, good canopy exposure and avoid uh, direct sunlight into the grapes because uh, then uh, there can be problems of phenolic uh, ripeness or uh, bitterness, uh, especially nowadays that we are talking a lot of, about climate change and we are experiencing uh, uh, its impact. So, well, uh, let's say each, uh, each region, its uh, traditional area is a very specific uh, condition that uh, that favor the, even its uh, typicity com combined of, uh, for sure with the, with the variety and the, the method of production okay so i'm going to we're halfway into the the call today um it's half past so i'm going to reset the room we are italian wine club uh, we are talking about sparkling wines of Italy, whether it's Prosecco, Franciacorta, Lambrusco, etc., etc. So if you have a question, please raise your hands. Um, if you have a question to the panelists, you know, Gabriele, Pietro, Andrea, or if you'd like to contribute in the discussion of sparkling wines, please raise your hand and I will bring you up to the stage. Let's start with Rashmi. Hello. Hi. Rashmi, you have to um, open your mic now. It's on the bottom right-hand corner. Because I can't, I can't unmute you. I got it. Oh, there you go. Hi, how are you? Very well. I haven't seen you in a very long time. I know. Sadly, this virus has caused trouble for all of us. I know you're a Franciacorta, or you were a Franciacorta ambassador. Did you want to... Say something about Franciacorta. Absolutely, yes. I still am the Franciacorta brand ambassador for Florida and the, and the Northeast here in the U.S. And, you know, I, I, I think the biggest thing with Franciacorta is that, unfortunately, here in Florida, being that how hot we are, we do get compared to Prosecco a lot. And, you know, one of my jobs is trying to make them understand the difference. And then you use the dialogue for champagne and you go secondary fermentation and then i have to explain to them the acid and how such high quality wine franchicota produces and then once they taste it it makes it easier for them to understand but franchicota is not that well known here unfortunately and i i know it is very well known in london and europe and italy and japan is doing fantastic but I think here we have to catch up with uh, Prosecco and Champagne to kind of make them understand the high quality and the softness, especially Satane, right? It is Franchicorta's biggest contribution to our sparkling world and the softness it brings in. So how do you explain to Americans Franchicorta? And how, how, I mean, what are the main challenges? I guess you've mentioned it a bit. You've hinted to the fact that, you know, you have to compare it to Champagne, Right. Yes, we have to come. It, it is the same method, right? So that's where I do have to go there. And I have to start by saying, if you like secondary fermentation in the bottle, you are going to appreciate Franchicota. And then I think I bring in the acid push part of it because a lot of people don't like that searing acid, right? And Franchicota being so food friendly, I, I, I go around with the Italian food, but I go around the, you know, the food aspect of it, because everybody loves Italian food, especially in America. So I have to pair it with that. But the biggest challenge... Yeah, Gabriele is, said food is good. 
Yes, yes. So <laughs> I think it's a fantastic. Especially this time of the day, you know? Yeah. For us. yeah. These I times of. I'm drinking. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> it's only two o'clock here. So, but but uh, don't you think, Gabrielle, that sparkling wine has is so versatile that it pairs with any cuisine and it has so much variety in sweetness also, right? So that diversity, especially in Italy. I mean, how many, do you have more than 100 appellations for sparkling wine in Italy? I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. How many appellations? We, we, do, we do have, no, we do have a lot, but the, 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 the most important thing is that uh, there are most of the sparkling, except for the Prosecco, of course, but that there are not under an actual uh, territorial appellation. It's just Italian wine of uh, quality sparkling we the the uh, uh, qrd which is the which is the generic appellation for uh, the sparkling wines from italy and uh, i remember that in uh, wine to wine in november 2019 so the last uh, i think the last edition we did in person uh, there was an actual presentation that showed us that these sort of wines so non-territorial driven wines were taking over. I mean, they were growing a lot. Right after the lockdown, we do have the same data, uh, sort of uh, inverted, because now we, we found out that the DOP, so the like the uh, geographic indication, are growing, whilst the um, non-geographic indication, so the generic things, the generic sparklings, are going down. So uh, there are many uh, appellations to say what you say, but probably more than 100. But the, the thing is, there are more than, I would say, a thousand wines from territories that you will never suspect to be a, a you know, sparkling wine place, but are actually producing that style. But do you, do you, um, I'll ask, I'll ask um, any panelists or even speakers on stage, I mean, do you think that one of the major problems or challenges of traditional sparklers for Italy is the fact that it's the quantity? Because if Franciacorta and Trento Doc together, they are producing only 10% of what champagne produces. Is it just a matter of not enough visibility, not being in the market? What do, what do you think, Pietro? Well, I think it's uh, much more a problem of uh, uh, cultural heritage, cultural problem. Uh, we mostly see sparkling wines as uh, celebratory, um, celebratory wines, such as champagne, for example. Uh, so it is difficult for people to go beyond that and try to pair it during a meal, a traditional meal, or, um, paired with uh, other occasion for food or uh, sometimes appetizer. Uh, what is the one of the reasons for, for the success of Prosecco is for sure that it's, uh, it has uh, abolished this uh, distinction. It's not anymore a celebratory wine. It's uh, much more an easy, it's an everyday drinking, an everyday luxury wine. So I think the most important thing in uh, in education will be to to trust the adaptability of uh, the, the capability for sparkling wines to really adapt to such a wide range of occasions. In my opinion, at least. Anyone would uh, like to add? I was going to say, you know, Stevie, I, I get your point about the fact that there is low volume. But see, that is a double-edged sword for Franchicota because Franchicota producers are very, very stringent in their quality parameters. So they really don't want to produce more. Maybe if we include Alta Langa, but you're right. I mean, between history and fantastic marketing, which Champagne has to offer, it's hard to compete. We don't have that kind of land. We don't have those kind of bottles to go around the world and spread the word about how wonderful sparkling wines from Italy are. Andrea, did you want to um, did you want to add anything? Yeah, I think that uh, Pietro just launched a very interesting subject 
related to the fact that when you're drinking a champagne, you're not drinking a glass of wine. You're drinking a lifestyle. Most of the most of the, the consumer they drink champagne as a lifestyle. Uh, Rashmi, yeah. uh, just just one second. Rashmi, can you just mute yourself because there's an echo. Sure. And and that is the, the same for prosecco. Prosecco, right now, you are not drinking a prosecco. You are drinking a lifestyle. You are drinking a aperitif style of wine with bubbles, a wine that uh, communicate conviviality, is something very easy to drink that everybody can understand and everybody can enjoy. For that reason, look how many times you go in a restaurant and they ask you, okay, as I started, we have a Prosecco. And after that, they give you a sparkling wine that maybe is not a Prosecco. So Prosecco is a way of communicating a lifestyle, a, a, a drink more than a region. Or, and that is something that we need to protect. For that reason, there might be some other opportunities to develop sparkling wines. I'm really think for the future that some interesting red Italian grape varieties can be very interesting to produce good quality of traditional sparkling method. But we need to develop the occasion. We need to develop the message. We need to develop the intangible values that are behind the bottle of champagne. Champagne is communicating luxury, is communicating... Um, uh, you know, the, 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 the beauty of champagne. So everybody wants to drink a glass of champagne, but not really for the taste of the wines, but much more for the intangible values behind the name champagne. And so if we want to develop something, we have to think also, even if it is niche, but we have to develop the message. Great. Thanks, Andrea. I, tend, I think there has to be a lot of marketing behind champagne. I mean, they spend a lot of money also in, in uh, marketing for champagne, the entire region. Giacomo, ciao. Gabriele, did you want to ask him something? or um, Ciao, Giacomo. Hi, Kim. Hi, how are you? Hi, I'm fine, thank you. <laughs> ciao, Giacomo. And so, because Giacomo, ciao, as, you, as I told you, it's uh, not only the, the new director of... Uh, the Consortio uh, Asti, but he's also a good friend and the former director for the Consortio of Brunello di Montalcini up to last year. Thank you for the presentation. <laughs> no, you're welcome. And uh, since I know that, uh, you know, Asti is going through a big revival with the Moscato and the Asti DOCG together and uh, I'd like you to ask what are the you know the challenges you are facing now not only on the market but especially especially in the vineyard and the sellers well it's a it's a it's it's a tough issue that you're that you're pointing to that I would like to start with what Andrea just said that when you drink a glass of wine especially an Italian glass of wine you, you you're not only searching for a specific taste but you you're also searching for what comes with it it's the image that you have of yourself and in relation with other people so that's the the, the starting point also for this kind of appellation i mean it was quite popular asti back in the 80s and the 90s in italy so it's quite was quite familiar for everyone involved in the wine business but also as a, as a consumer knowing what asti was the thing the first thing is bringing back asti especially in italy back to this to his historical role to to what it was to what it has meant in the, in the story of italian wine because first of all if tourists come to italy and they don't see people drinking asti when they go back to to united states or to russia they they won't ever get the wine the chance they it deserves that's that's the, the main issue for me at the moment i mean we we all know that in italy with the taste has gone towards more dry wines but everywhere else in the world there are still a lot of people really uh, keen on demi sec or sweet wine so we believe that we still have to to push on the historical uh, on the historical um, meaning of this wine as it was born in 1865 as a, as a classic method um, but but evolved into a tank fermentation with the Martinotti in 1895. Why did, why did that happen? You mean it was actually initially a traditional 
method. Yeah, it was actually, it was a, I didn't know that. It, it all started with uh, Carlo Gancha from the Gancha family mm-hmm. that after having spent part of his life in France came back to Canelli where in 1865 he, is, he experimented the, the classic method with the local variety, Moscato Bianco. And and that that's how it all started. It was they say that it was the first sparkling Italian wine ever produced. So it was like the starting point for all of us in the wine sparkling wine business. And it changed after 30 years, thanks to uh, Federico Martinotti, who was the director of the experimental enological school in uh, Asti. He was from a small village uh, called. Uh, ah, so Martinotti was from Asti. Yeah. In the neighborhood, yeah, okay. not far from Mar- I thought he was from Prosecco. No, actually, was born here, but he actually he was such important for that time that he developed everywhere in north of Italy his, his studies, mm-hmm. his knowledge, and it, it changed. Uh, and that one comes into the into the story. Charmat Charmat starts uh, being uh, known in 1910 because actually what what Martinotti did was uh, patenting the the method, the, the the tank fermentation. He patented the method, but not the equipment that was patented by Charmat 25, 15 years later. That's why we, we talk about these two guys at the same time. And we're still, we're still struggling to, to make, to give back to Martinotti the, 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 the central role that he deserves for all, for our wines, sparkling wines. And I totally agree with Andrea where he was saying that we should give him back his central position in, in our story. So we we might think of a of creating something about his his image. So I don't know. how are you? Be an idea for the future. The realms of Italy is asti. <laughs> Could be. So what is the what is the big revolution that um or evolution that Gabriele was speaking about? Well, actually, we had a, a, an, an evolution that started three years ago, actually four years ago, that also locally the, 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 the local wineries started to experiment uh, and a sparkling wine that was also not only sweet, but it was also could, could also have been um, extra dry, dry or demi-sec. And that's what we're doing. And the struggle at the moment, the main struggle is that with the uh, climate changing, uh, there's been a. We, we are afraid that the aromatic uh, compounds of the grapes are gonna be loosed in in maybe in 20, 30 years. They're gonna be. We're not gonna be talking about aromatic grapes anymore. So that's something that we're really uh, trying to 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 focus on in the, in the near future because this changing weather uh, this won't, won't won't guarantee us to maintain the aromatic part of the of the grapes. That goes also in the wine, of course. Giacomo, do you would you like to contextualize a little bit about um, Asti's production in terms of size compared to, for example, okay. Prosecco? Yeah, uh, Asti is, a, is an appellation that actually is uh, the appellation is Asti DOCG, but it also contains two different styles of wine: Asti Sparkling and Moscato d'Asti, which is more a uh, uh, fizzy wine, um, closer to the, to a wine, not a sparkling wine. And the total production reaches around 90, well, it has, has reached in uh, 2020 91.5 million bottles, around 45 million bottles for sparkling Asti. The rest was Moscato d'Asti. And there are around 10,000 hectares involved in the, in the production on three different provinces, Asti, Cuneo, and, uh, and Alessandria. So there are many different kind of soils, many different altitudes. So it's it, it, it's quite a, an interesting various uh, scenario for for the grapes for the grapes that are made. Um, can you uh, just remind us in terms of percentage? How much is Moscato the Asti, and how much is Asti? Uh, Moscato is uh, Moscato d'Asti of the 91 millibottles is around uh, 40 percent. 60 percent is uh, is uh, Asti sparkling, Asti spumante. Right. So, but we don't call it Asti spumante anymore, right? It's just well, Asti. It, it's Asti. It's easier to say Asti, but yeah. it's also the name of the appellation. That's a little bit awkward for us to explain because you al- you only have one appellation, which is Asti DOCG. 
Then if you look at the code of production, you will find it the, the sparkling Asti and the Moscato Dusty. Uh, 2.5 bar pressure Moscato Dusty, 3.5 at least uh, Asti sparkling wine. Yeah, I do think it's a little bit confusing for foreigners, (laughs) especially. You know, they just know one is a a bit sweeter than the other. But I'm not sure that's very convincing. Already, um, Lan wanted to speak. Ciao, Lan. Ciao, Stevie. I actually have a question for the three um, musketeers and also one for Giacomo. Okay, go ahead. Uh, um, Thank you all for sharing the and knowledge and, and experience. We talk about the, the techniques, we talk about the appellations, but I wonder what are your top three native Italian uh, grapes for uh, quality sparkling wine production? This question is for the three uh, musketeers. Then a question for Giacomo is about the upcoming variety for combating global warming, because we know that, and for, for example, in French Accorda, people are starting uh, starting growing Erbat to um, fight against the global warming. What is the solution to what, what is the solution in um, for um, say um, Asti? So Lan is our um, VIA coordinator, and of course he loves to ask these simple questions and and want to know if you any of you are Nostradamus of this part. Um, we have about um, less than 10 minutes. So I, I think this will be the last round of comments, probably. So let's start with Andrea. Okay. I pick uh, three different grape varieties for different reasons. First, Verdicchio. Because it yeah, has it, it, you guys love Verdicchio, seriously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it has the capability of grab the autolytic character as a Chardonnay. And that is quite important. Not a lot of grape varieties can really bring during the process this lovely uh, bread crust character. Second, Durella from Soave Area, a very interesting grape variety with an acidity as Chablis, with a chalkiness and saltiness in the palate, very distinct. I think it's even higher acidity than Chablis. Yeah, yeah. Could be quite could be very interesting, especially for long uh, long lease aging. We are talking about 60, mo- 60 months, so very very long, but outstanding type of wine with lovely reductiveness in the nose. And finally, I bring something for red. Uh, and as a as a red grape variety, I think that maybe Corvina can be interesting in the future to produce. A, a bubble from a red grape varieties because it has a lot of similarities with uh, Pinot Noir for many reasons. And so it might be interesting for to see for the future to have a look about this grape variety that tend to produce low level of alcohol and a very high acidity that are two mandatory aspects to produce great champagne like. Great. Okay, thanks, Andrea. What about Pietro, our winemaker? Well, as a native Sicilian, I will uh, pick (laughs) Sicilian varieties. You do that. (laughs) Yeah, so well, I I have some experience on sparkling for local varieties. More actually, more with the. You make some sparkling wines already, right? Yes, I do. I do traditional method with the Pinot and Chardonnay, but actually, we are also working on Nerello Mascalese. Oh, that's interesting. Yes. yes. When is that coming? it's, it comes from Etna, and actually... I no, no, when when are you coming out with the Nerello Mascalese sparkler? Uh, we are... It's, uh, it's edging on the list, so we will see in the next maybe two years. Mm-hmm, great, great news. One or two years at least. And uh, so, uh, Nerello Mascalese, because of its acidity, because it's uh, when it's vinified and... In white, it can be very interesting, interesting in terms of uh, uh, crispiness, uh, uh, vibrancy, and typicity from the Vulcan. And this is very uh, suited for, uh, for traditional method sparkling. Uh, and also because there is a tradition in, uh, in Etna that we haven't told, but uh, 
and it's still growing actually so it's a very interesting uh, market still niche but it's uh, it's growing very well and uh, the other is lucido or cataratto uh, cataratto for uh, for charman method because it's uh, again as a local variety is a very uh, very acidic uh, but it's very can can have nice uh, citrusy and floral aromas that can uh, uh, be preserved with the Charmat method. So, so yes, two very nice varieties that uh, can be interesting in the next future for Sicilian sparkling. Great. We'll be looking forward to that. Catarata Nerello Mascalese. Gabriele. I think the guys kind of stole me most of the varieties that I could. Yeah, Verdicchio. About. Don't say Verdicchio again. <laughs> yeah, Verdicchio. You know, Verdicchio, Verdicchio is the... Uh, High, we, we like to call Verdicchio as the highest latitude uh, in terms of style, great variety. Yeah, I'll just and, change uh, your names, nicknames to Verdicchio Boys instead of the Three Musketeers. <laughs> okay, anyway, anyway, I think the one of the most interesting, uh, not mentioned varieties, uh, it's Nebbiolo for the production of sparkling wine. Aha, uh-huh. and and the reason why is that it has, as needed, very high acidity and not many antocyanins, so it, but you have a lot, of, uh, a lot of tannins. And so if you manage it in the right way, you can get the wine that uh, has the weight uh, of a Pinot Noir in the, in, in, on the palate, and you feel that on your tongue. And uh, that is a very food-friendly uh, sort of uh, style. And it is a bit of a bet, I will say, because it is right, quite recent. And, but it, of course, comes from uh, Piedmont, where they had the, the longest tradition, as I told you before, with, um, with the Altalanga uh, varieties, which are the, the Champagne varieties. But I think that Nebbiolo might have his own identity, even if vinified as a sparkle. Interesting. We'll, we'll, we'll see uh, how it develops. Listen, just before uh, we close, we have Stefan next, but um, I wanted to remind you next week, they're, um, they're um, kicking off with this Festival Franciacorta Digital Edition, and we will be hosting um, a room next week, 8 p.m. So next week, um, save the date, W said diploma versus via um, in terms of Franciacorta study. So there'll be kind of a duel, myself and my colleagues from the office, Rebecca Lawrence, she's also a W said educator, Jacopo Lan, Francesco Marchia, who's our also via faculty as of this recent, um, and um, and many other hopefully will be joining us. And that's next week, 8 p.m., Ciao, Stefan. I've never seen you come up to the stage, so welcome. And then we will close. Thanks. Um, I'm Stefan from Munich, and as this room is about to close, I put my question very briefly. It's a question for Giacomo. So as uh, Stevie already mentioned, that there is some confusion in the market between uh, between the Asti and the Moscato d'Asti. Don't you think that the recent DOCG of Canelli is sort of cannibalizing the market in a way? Thank you. I'm done speaking. Good question. Giacomo. Thank you for the question, Stefan. Uh, there was also a question from Lan before that it was uh, concerning the, uh, the climate change. Um, just, just to mention, uh, just one more thing. We are studying with the University of Pisa these, 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 these issues. And they, for example, one of the many experiments that we're doing is to uh, we have created a fake berry that is going to be that it has been put inside the, the cluster of Moscato, and during the during the, the vintage time we we use different kind of leaf covers, and at the end of the of the harvest we vinify we we might, we, we have micro vinifications in order to understand the difference that the, the, the lights and the different coverage of the of the cluster uh, brings to the wine. Uh, but just 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 to mention one thing, um, for Stefan, uh, yes, the DOCG Canelli was recently uh, announced and accepted by the Ministry of Agriculture. Uh, we believe that Canelli should 
they won't be, it won't be chain, mentioned Moscato on the label, and we believe that is going to help a little bit the Moscato Dusty um, passionate to understand that Canelli represents the um, the higher part, the, the highest value for uh, for Moscat for Moscato Dusty lovers. I mean, it's gonna. We don't believe that it's gonna cannibalize it because. Uh, just a, just a small area of the total amount of Moscato dust that can be produced uh, is going to be used for um, for Canelli. Uh, at the moment, there are only about uh, 100 uh, hectares that are uh, used to produce uh, Moscato Dusty uh, Canelli because it was already possible to produce uh, Moscato Dusty with the mention of Canelli. But that is still involving just a few um, just one, maybe one, one and a hundred, one hundred fifty hectares of Moscato. So we believe that it's going to help the the whole image of Moscato Dusty. Great. I think that is all for now. We, um, the three musketeers, they'll be taking a break. They're tired. They need their their summer rest. So we'll be coming back with them after the summer is out uh, next week. Franciacorta. The we'll be doing a little bit of a deep dive. And thank you for staying with us. You're still here. And we're going to close. So for one last time for Gabriele. Ciao ragazzi. Once again, here we go. Swirl, sniff, sip, sniff. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cin cin. Cin cin.